This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. It's good to see you this morning. Um, the first morning that I came in, that it was actually really, really cool. Um, I walked out this morning in uh, shorts and a t-shirt uh, and knew that it was going to be a great day. Right? The heat is breaking. Now, it, it may uh, pop back up this next week. I don't know. Uh, but today is going be, to be beautiful. I'm glad that you are here. This morning is week five of a six-week series where we are, are working through our mission statement as a church, how it is that, uh, that we look at the great commandments and the great commission uh, and pull out of them truths that we can put in a single sentence about what it means to be a Christ-centered, gospel-centered church that's living out God's intent and purpose and commission for his church on earth. And we just word it this way, that we exist to glorify God by helping all kinds of people find and follow Jesus through gospel-centered ministry. This morning we're going to talk about what it looks like to help people find or not find, that'd be last week, follow, what it looks like to help people follow Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus ourselves, because we can't lead others into a life we're not truly living. We can't take others on a journey that we're not on ourselves. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. If you've got a a Bible with you, or maybe you uh, look it up on your device, or you just listen and watch on the screens, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We'll be in the, the final verses there as we see Jesus have an encounter with a man named Bartimaeus, a man named Bartimaeus. Before we get there, while you're turning to Mark chapter 10, um, I want to give you just kind of a, a big picture of thought about the message this morning, a big picture of thought uh, that I think God wants us to grab hold of and to think very seriously about the implications for our own lives. And it is simply this, and we'll have it up on the screen for you, that who you follow determines where you'll go. Who you follow determines where, where you'll go, and everybody follows somebody. Who you follow determines where you'll go, and everybody follows somebody. I believe that everybody, everybody on the planet is following somebody and is therefore a person of faith. Everybody is listening to somebody. They're reflecting on what somebody says. They're taking what somebody says and they're making decisions about where to go and what to do, what is right and what is wrong based on somebody. And we're here to help people find and follow Jesus. Find and follow Jesus. And again, we can't help others find someone that we're not following ourselves. And I want to make this clear before we read uh, this passage in Mark chapter 10. Jesus' invitation throughout the Gospels is always come and follow me. It's never get saved. It is always come and follow me. That is synonymous with what it means to be saved, with what it means to be redeemed, with what it means to be a Christian. 
You and I are followers of Jesus Christ. He and he alone forms our values, our ethics, our worldview. The way that we see people, the way that we understand money and marriage and friendship. What we know and understand about God and who God is and how God relates to us. Relates to other brothers and sisters in the faith and relates to those outside the faith. His invitation is always come and follow me. Let's pick up the story of Bartimaeus. I'm going to read through the passage, pray for us, and then we're going to work through this passage and allow God to speak to us together this morning. Let's start with verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's pray. God, this morning as we read the story of Jesus' encounter so long ago with this man on the edge of Jericho and how Jesus restored sight to him, I pray that this morning you would give us Spiritual eyes to see. God, there's no one in more danger of missing your heart, of missing the power of your word, the movement of your spirit, than those of us who feel familiar with it. God, don't let us sit in here this morning uninterrupted. Don't let us leave the same way that we came in. God, don't let us depart this building, this place this morning, collectively as the same church that we drove in as. God, and I pray for everyone sitting in here this morning. Wherever they are in their relationship with you and understanding your love for them, God, that you would draw them closer. God, reveal yourself to us through the power of, of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I lift up to you those who are serving in LM Kids this morning, the children who are laughing and learning and being loved. God, I pray that you'd fill those adults that serve week in and week out, demonstrating themselves to be serious about who you are and what you've called us to do as a church. Speak to us now for the glory of your name. Amen. All right, let me, let me start out by saying 
I want to suggest to you that Bartimaeus is not nearly the only blind person in, in this story. He's the only one called out for being physically blind and a physical beggar. And you don't have to, to turn back, but I just want to reference to you, starting back in chapter 8 with the feeding of, of the 4,000. Jesus is, is unpacking for his own disciples who've been following him quite a time now. If you were here last week, you may remember that Jericho is the last stop on the way to Jerusalem, just east of Jerusalem. And Jesus is passing through there, going up to Jerusalem for what he knows will be his arrest, trial, and murder. They've been with Jesus for a while. And, and Jesus is trying to reveal to them who he is and the heart of God. And in verse 18, he says, Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And if you track the disciples on, you see this again and again. You see that Jesus, uh, that Peter declares Jesus to be the Messiah, and then he's confused about the nature of why the Messiah has come and what it is that Jesus is about. And Jesus has to rebuke him. Time and time again in chapters 8, 9, and earlier in 10, you see the disciples locked in spiritual confusion, spiritual blindness, even though they are the most familiar with Jesus at the time. What's, a, what's amazing here is uh, the passage that I just read follows on the heels of the request in James, of James and John to be great with Jesus, to be closest to Jesus, to be exalted with Jesus in power and glory when Jesus establishes his kingdom and his rule. You remember what Jesus says to them? Verses 42 to 45, he says, hey, hey, outside of the kingdom of God, in the world, the way of the world is get or be gotten. The way of the world is climb the ladder and exercise power to the benefit of yourself and at the expense of others. And in verse 43, he says, it's not so with you. That instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. He says that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ha. Huh. And then right after that, right after that, they're passing through Jericho and they encounter this man, Bartimaeus. This man, Bartimaeus. It's interesting if you take time and you don't have to do it, certainly now. But if you take time and go back to chapter 8, maybe later today, you'll see that Jesus heals a blind man in chapter 8 too at Bethsaida. And he does it in stages. Some of you may remember this passage. Jesus touches his eyes and says, can you see? And he says, well, I see people walking around, but they look like trees walking around. And Jesus touches his eyes again, and he can see. There's something poignant and significant, I think, about that healing. Could it be that many of us come to see Jesus fully in stages? Could it be that many of us come to surrender our lives to him? progressively maybe there's a moment of confession and understanding and repentance 
but we still lack a full understanding of who Jesus is. It was certainly true of the disciples. In fact, we don't know when any of the disciples actually got it. We know it was after the resurrection because they scattered like scared kittens before. But we don't know. There's some kind of progressive understanding that's taking place as they're watching Jesus. And then they get to Jericho. They have this run-in with Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus. What's interesting here is Bartimaeus is the last person to be healed in Mark, and he's the only one actually listed by name. Names of relatives are given throughout Mark for, for other people healed, but Bartimaeus is the only one that we know by name. Look at verse 46 again. They come to Jericho and Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd. Wherever Jesus and his disciples went by this time in his ministry, a large crowd came around him. Word about Jesus had spread. Word of what he could do. Word of potentially who he was and who people were claiming he was. They're leaving the city and sitting just outside the city as was common around the gate would have been a, a cluster of beggars. We're not told how many are there that day. We're specifically told about this man, Bartimaeus. And we're told that he's the son of Timaeus, which is bar Timaeus, what those words mean put together. And it's interesting and it, it causes you to wonder why. I wonder why. I don't know all of why, but I will tell you this, that in stating his name, and whose son he was, whose household he came from. There's a sense in which, as Mark's writing his gospel, and Mark was the first gospel to be written, uh, some scholars believe as early as the, the mid to late 50s, uh, possibly as late as 70 A.D., but somewhere probably closer to the late 50s or mid-60s. He's writing some 20-something or 30-something years after Jesus' death and resurrection. People are still alive that experienced this stirring, this powerful event that was changing the known world at this time. And it's as if Mark is saying, you don't believe this? Check it out. Go to the household of Timaeus in Jericho. See if it isn't true. He's sitting by the roadside and he's begging and verse 47 says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Just the verbs alone could tell you Bartimaeus' story. He's sitting, begging, hearing, and shouting. He's sitting, begging, hearing, and shouting. I wonder when the last time was for you or for me that we felt that that intense desire for God, that intense of need to be rescued by God in some way at some time, that degree of hunger to be touched by God, that degree of passion to follow God if only he'll make us able. And it's funny, this declaration, son of David, only given here by someone in Mark, son of David. We don't know exactly why, but we know part of what Bartimaeus was doing is, is he's beginning to connect the dots. He's beginning to connect the dots from what he had known about this long-awaited Messiah. And 
some of you will know and some of you may not that Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? It wasn't like Joseph and Mary Christ and they had Jesus Christ and the Christ family lived at 401, right? It, it wasn't that way. It's a title, anointed one, chosen one, Messiah of God, the one around which the Jews and all of God's creation and his story was waiting on. Jesus Christ. He doesn't say Jesus Christ. He says Jesus, son of David. Son of David. God had promised to bring this Messiah, this anointed one, this great king through David. And the great, 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 great granddaughter of David was Mary. Maybe Bartimaeus is beginning to put two and two together. And he's saying, from, from all that I've heard, this is my declaration about you. You are the son of David, the long-awaited one. And what's his cry? Have mercy on me. Bartimaeus knows he's in need. Bartimaeus knows he has no hope to make himself right and whole. Have mercy on me. Look at verse 48 though. Many rebuked him. We don't know how many, but many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. To be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. This is so, so profound. Many of you will know that when a, a person loses, especially their sight or their hearing, the other senses are heightened. It seems to be a gift that God's given the human system. An ability to compensate in every way sovereignly created to do so possible for what has been lost. And I want you to imagine what it would have been like to have been Bartimaeus in this situation. He's sitting outside, his cloak is spread before him, either on his lap or in front of him. And, and Jericho was a dusty, hot, dirty place. He wasn't wearing his cloak because it was cool. He had it out there to collect whatever money people would give him. He's sitting there and he can't see anything. If it wouldn't be so weird now, and I know it would, so I'm not going to do it. But I would just challenge all of us to close our eyes and imagine what it's like to be Bartimaeus. He can't see anything. He can only hear, but boy can he hear. And he begins to hear the faint chatter of a crowd. And it gets louder and louder. He can hear the, the rustle and the hustle of people. He can hear the pounding of sandals on a packed road leading out of Jericho. And he knows that somewhere out there in the darkness is Jesus of Nazareth. Somewhere out there approaching is this man that he's heard about. And when they get close enough that he feels like it's his chance. I don't miss the urgency here. It's very likely that Bartimaeus understood this was his one and only chance to connect with Jesus. You and I take for granted 
that we're going to have today and tomorrow and the next day and next week and next year, we do not take death very seriously in the United States. We see very, very little of it. Most Americans and Westerners live to be a fairly ripe old age. And when there is death, it's all hidden, right? Someone comes and, and carefully covers someone up and zips them up, and they're, they're taken out, and they're whisked away in a vehicle that you can't see, taken to a place you can't go. And they go in, and they make them look in time as, as much as they can, like they were still alive before you see them. You see them briefly, and then there's some kind of service where others may see them or may not see them. And they're just gone. Poof. Bartimaeus knows. He's got one shot here. He has no hope of being in that same place at that same time again. And he shouts to Jesus. But he's rebuked. Many rebuke him. Probably likely from the crowd and especially from the disciples. The disciples have to be pretty jolly at this time. Because we know that they're constantly confused about what it means to follow Jesus. James and John had just let us know so. And the behavior here is clear that they're like, Jesus is always talking about this servant business, but we're about to take back the kingdom, right? They're headed to Jerusalem. And they have every right to believe from the way that they've thought all of their lives that Jesus is going up there to overthrow Roman control in their area and to establish the kingdom of God. And he absolutely is. They just don't understand how God's going to do it. But man, they're triumphant, right? They're with the man. They see themselves as high and exalted. And then there's this loudmouthed beggar who's slowing things down. I would like to imagine that I'm Bartimaeus, or even better, Jesus in the story. But I have no doubt that I would have been an aggravated, impatient disciple who's wondering why this dude on the edge of Jericho is slowing us down, right? Because they saw beggars all the time, every city coming in and out. They shout him down, or they try to. But he just shouts all the more. David, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. Jesus, stop. Those are words of grace, my friends. Jesus stops when people call his name. He still stops when we call his name. Jesus stopped. They were in a hurry. Jesus stopped. And it's interesting. He said, call him. Well, I'll save that. Let me save that. But I do want us to understand here, part of what Jesus is doing is correcting those around him, correcting their rebuke. He's saying, don't rebuke those who are blind and broken. Call them. Call them to me. I can heal them. I can save them. Don't rebuke them. And you can just imagine the disciples, probably Peter, right? He was quick to speak. Passionate, courageous most of the time. You can just hear him. Hey, shut up. Be quiet. Be quiet. Here, 
We've got important things to do in an important place. We're on our way. We're important people. Maybe you don't understand him that Jesus says, shh, call him. And Peter's like, so you should come. I was going to say that. I was getting myself around to it. And then I love, I love the words next. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. There's nothing wrong with you. Stop whining. Get up on your feet. It, it's kind of crass and short. They're still aggravated. They still don't get it. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Maybe they're hoping if he'll just cheer up, Jesus will go, oh, he's fine after all. Have a seat. Let's roll, guys. It's getting late. We've got bread and wine to have. Jesus stops. I, I, wanna, I thought about this a lot, and I want to give you some reasons why I believe Jesus stops. He stops to correct the mistaken beliefs and views of his own followers, first of all. He stops because what they're saying, even after so long of following him, does not match his heart for people. And he wants to correct their views. They see Bartimaeus as a problem. But Jesus sees him as the point. They look at Bartimaeus and they see an inconvenience, but Jesus sees a person. I'm telling you, I'll confess here, I struggle with this during the day. If I'm out in public, because my mind is always two or three locations ahead of the one I'm actually at anyway. And I have to constantly try to slow my roll, to let God slow my soul, so that whoever I'm interacting with, I'm fully present with. And I'm able to be in tune with whatever opportunities God may place before me. Or, if nothing else, with whoever he's placed in front of me to simply love, to encourage on a given day in Jesus' name and for his glory. Jesus stops to correct the mistaken views of his followers. He also stops to include his disciples in the process of welcoming in this marginalized man. This is consistent with the heart of God and the sovereign will of God throughout Scripture, that God's going to do what he's going to do. And he's going to do it through you as his church, his people. Jesus could have just called him himself, right? He could have said, Shh, come here, Bartimaeus. I mean, can we agree that Jesus could have done that? That's not what he does, though. He just stops and everybody else stops. It's like when the president stops walking, you stop if you're with him. They just stop. And Jesus says, call him. He's including his disciples in this moment. He's giving them an opportunity to participate in the welcoming in of this marginalized man to Jesus' circle. And he stops so that Bartimaeus might, from his own lips... Give testimony to his need so that when Jesus addresses it, not only Bartimaeus, but all those will watching will know more about who Jesus is and how God views 
broken and hurting people. Jesus stops. If Jesus is involved at the very beginning of creation, and both Genesis 1 and John 1 testify to this, if Jesus is the means by which our Heavenly Father speaks all that is into existence, he certainly could have just spoken a word or thought a thought, and this man would have been healed. But he didn't. He stops. He stops to demonstrate that God loves people more than anything. He loves people more than doctrine. He loves people more than denominations. He loves people more than regions of a country or a world. He loves people more than morals or ethics. God loves people more than anything. All of those other things are simply ways to serve God's redemptive purposes for people and through people to all of his creation. He loves people more than anything. On your feet, he's calling you. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Again, it's these verbs, throwing, jumping, coming. You can literally do Bartimaeus' story just through the verbs in the passage. One of the things that's interesting here, Alistair Begg said about this passage, about the, the redundant declaration not redundant, but repetitive of Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then this response, Beg says this, you'll never know Jesus as a reality in your life until you know him as a necessity. You'll never know Jesus as a reality in your life until you know him as a necessity. Until you know, until you know that you are blind and hopeless. You will never call on Jesus in a way that allows you to know him. You'll never receive the sight that only God can give until you know that you not only sin, but that you are sinful and a sinner. Until you know that, you will not call on the God who redeems and delivers. You will never know Jesus as a reality in your life until you know him as a necessity. Bartimaeus knew Jesus in this moment as a necessity. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And then Jesus says in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? This is Jesus' question. And this is a legit question. It seems obvious, does it not? It's not that Jesus didn't know he was blind, right? Everybody else there knows he's an issue, and Jesus just doesn't know. He's going along singing how he loves the little children of the world. And he just doesn't get it. That's not it at all. Jesus knows. He wants Bartimaeus to say it. Bartimaeus needs to say it. As I said before, the, those watching need to hear him say it and see Jesus fulfill the need. Bartimaeus answers and says, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. I want to see. There was something in Bartimaeus at that moment that believed that in Jesus he could find the mercy of God. That in Jesus he could find 
the one who would treat him differently than everyone else had in his life as a blind beggar. Just, a, uh, just an inconvenience on society. One put outside of religious community because they tied all kinds of physical ailments to sin. Rabbi, I want to see. So important here that he says, Rabbi. In a sense, he's saying, Jesus, I know you're the one I'm to learn from. I know you're the one I'm to look to. Not just the one little T-H-E, but the one, capital T, capital O. You know what's interesting here? Jesus asks Bartimaeus the exact same thing that he asked James and John in verse 36 of chapter 10. Word for word, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want you to make us great. We want to be the greatest. And Bartimaeus says, I want you to have mercy on me and make me whole. I want you to have mercy on me. Part of what he's saying there is, I don't deserve this. There's nothing in me that can cause this to be some kind of transactional relationship. He doesn't say, because I'm poor, I deserve more. Because I'm broken, I deserve this. Maybe because I've been faithful to what I knew, and I've confessed you as the long-awaited son of David. He says, have mercy on me, because I know there's nothing in me that deserves what I'm asking you for. But I'm believing that it comes from you. Rabbi, I want to see. He doesn't say make me great. At least James and John said it. Most of us just think it, right? We just go through life going, why is everybody else getting more than me? Why do they look greater than me? Everybody knows I'm greater than they are. Why is their kingdom being enlarged? God, I know you know I'm better than them. I'm more talented, way better looking, and on and on it goes. At least James and John say it. Hey, we want to be the best, right? Numero uno and dos. We want on the left and the right, and the rest of these dudes can fit somewhere below us. Not Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus knows he's broken. He knows he's hopeless. He knows he's a beggar. Can I tell you, everyone who's ever been made by right made right by God, knows they're broken, knows they're blind, knows they're a beggar, knows they have no hope outside of the mercy and the grace of God. Jesus tells him, go. Go. Your faith has healed you. Now, it's very important that you know here, Jesus is not saying it is the faith that's caused the wholeness but it is the faith that's made the space for Jesus to cause the wholeness. The faith is the conduit through which the healing power of God flows. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. What's amazing here is the same word for healed you here is used throughout Mark in many different areas, both for physical healings and for spiritually being redeemed, being saved. And Jesus certainly has both in mind here. 
Look at Bartimaeus' response. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus says, go. And Bartimaeus hears that go as go. And follow me as you are going. What's amazing here is the latter half of verse 52 literally says, followed him in the way. That's literally what the text in its original form says. Immediately he followed him in the way. And the way was the term used in Mark's day to refer to Christians. What we would call Christianity, they called the way. We find that usage in Acts. They were people of the way. Bartimaeus gets up and he follows Jesus. Can I just tell you, there is no finding Jesus in any redemptive sense without following Jesus. It is the same call. And Jesus is always on mission. Jesus is always out where the Bartimaeuses of our world are. We don't exist simply to glorify God in some nebulous, confusing, ambiguous way or to glorify him by helping all kinds of people find their favorite restaurant or find the best moral or ethical code or find their way to their best life now or even help them find Jesus but to help them find and follow Jesus. And I want us to know, I don't want us to miss this morning that, that this, this encounter with Bartimaeus is a microcosm of the gospel. It's a microcosm of what we see throughout Scripture. When Jesus comes to broken people, they call out to him and find out he was calling out to them. Because the Bible says that no one comes to him unless the Father calls him. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. As the band makes their way back up here this morning and we begin to prepare our hearts and our minds to respond to God and to reflect before God on his word this morning, I would just challenge you, maybe some of you, maybe you've been active in church for years and years and years, but you've never felt in your soul what Bartimaeus expresses, the total, utter depravity and helplessness of life disconnected from God. Maybe today's your day. Next week we will celebrate communion, our first communion uh, in person back together since all of this crazy pandemic started. It's going to be a good morning. Part of what we do when we celebrate communion is we re-identify each time we do it with the suffering, the life, death, and resurrection, and the mission of Jesus. We say his life is now our life. Our life is now his life. On November 13th, 14th, whatever that Sunday is, we're going to be celebrating baptism. Some of you know you need that. You believe Jesus is who he says he is, but maybe out of pride, maybe out of fear, you've never made that public. Baptism is your public profession of faith in Christ. 
That's why we have multiple things on that connection card that Jake spoke about. And I would encourage you to take that very seriously this morning. To get that card back out, women and men, there's one in every seat when you come in, and look at the back of that card and see if God, through the power of His Spirit, is not speaking to your soul this morning about some next step. If God hasn't, in His mercy, opened your eyes, given sight to you in areas that you were blind, and isn't calling you to some kind of deeper devotion to Him. And if He is, you need to mark that. And you need to let us follow up with you and walk with you in whatever decision God is calling you to make because we can't help people go down a road we're not on ourselves. We can't lead people into a path that we're not walking. And we certainly can't help someone follow Jesus when we're not doing it. Let's stand and pray. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. Thank you.